The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is up, everybody? I'm Anthony Gazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, coming at you to talk some Cincinnati Bengals football. And I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, John Sheeran, with Randall, who's got the most epic shirt ever behind him. I don't know if we talked about the shirt last week, if he's wearing that. But, uh, John, what's going on, man? How you doing? Yeah, we're doing good. Randall's celebrating hot skeleton summer in, in style with the, with the donut shirt. Um <laughs> But yeah, we're we're just chilling here on a J- July evening. If you're listening after the fact on one of the many podcast platforms, um, you know whatever you're listening to, I hope you're enjoying it. But if you're listening to us live, I recommend having us on one screen tuning into the FCC game. They're playing, I believe, Atlanta United, if that's the name of their team. Um, there's some special guests in that stadium, including my dad, who just recently turned 61 years old. Happy belated oh. to Tim, and yeah. also. Some Bengals, I don't know if you guys know them, uh, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Thaddeus Moss, Sam Hubbard, and Drew Sample are also all in the house rocking some FCC gear. So if you're tuning in live, check out to see if the the football club, the other football club in Cincinnati is doing well while we're doing our thing here on YouTube. Well, happy birthday, Mr. Sheeran. I didn't uh, I didn't know it was your birthday recently, but happy or maybe I did. A lot but... of Julys in, in the Sheeran household. Yeah, I think. Was it your mom's recently as well? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, yours. Right. And then my dad, yes. Yeah. And then my dad was the 20th. So right. three in the span of two weeks. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Wow. It's a, it's a celebratory month in the Sheeran household. And it is a, it, of sorts, a celebratory month for Bengals fans because training camps around the corner, right? I mean, we're just, we're just a handful of days away now at this point. Can't even believe it. We, it feels like in some senses it's taken a long time to get here. And in other senses, it's like, wow, this spring and summer kind of, breezed by especially after the the frenzy that was the draft john i i guess where we want to start before we well before we start with what we're going to get to i guess we'll, we'll let you know what we're what's on tap for the show and then of course how to get in touch with us all that kind of stuff but uh we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about what message the team has put out to its fan base this this week um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the fan engagement that they've uh, put forth as well from members of their staff. We've got a potential breakout player that we're going to talk about, and we've got another position group to preview. So we've got a lot on tap, and we will get to all of that. And as always, you can get this show uh, on our YouTube channel. There is a logo right under John's left shoulder there. Randall may be staring at it over John's shoulder there. Uh, so click that, subscribe to our podcast get notified when we go live and turn on you know turn on those notifications so you get all kinds of notifications when we put forth new material and then as john mentioned we're on a myriad of audio platforms so if you can't join us live please do if you can but if you can't join us live get it the show itunes stitcher spotify google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, megaphone basically all the, the big platforms out there and subscribe leave us a rating there so john i kind of teased it the Bengals and 
the their newest rock star in the front office, Elizabeth Blackburn, just continues to wow us with the messaging, with all kinds of different things. I'm going to share the screen. I did this on the water cooler, Jeff, and I'm going to share the screen. And in in it, we'll we'll talk about the messaging here. But basically, rule the jungle is the new mantra. What did you make of this statement that the team put out this week and kind of a rally cry to the fan base, if you will, in terms of, hey, this is what we want to see. This is what we how we want things to be on the field and in the stadium for, from our players and from the fans. Seems like the, the, the consistent message that we've talked about in regards to th- this PR that the team is putting out is that they're understanding what the strengths of their brand and their organization are, and they're finally trying to weaponize it. Because this isn't the Cowboys, this isn't the Patriots, this isn't the Packers, this isn't the Steelers. Even though this is the NFL and they print money on a yearly basis, and the supply of that money that they print is not running out anytime soon, this is still, at at its heart, 32 private franchises that all have their own standards and all have their own rates of success. The Bengals brand over the past five to six years has had a hard time of selling itself despite the rabid fan base and the passion of this fan base that it's that that still exists there. So this offseason, we're finally starting to see organizational awareness of their biggest strength, which is despite five or six consecutive losing seasons, there's still passion from this fan base and there's still a fan base that wants to be involved and wants to be heard. And that is extremely evident if you go on Twitter and just anywhere online, the presence of Bengals fans trumps 90% or more of other fan bases. And I think Elizabeth Blackburn is finally starting to realize that. And maybe this has been in in the works over the past year and it hasn't come to fruition because of COVID. But now this campaign of rule the jungle, it it does speak to the mind of, okay, we understand that, you know, fans are going to be filling the stadium again. It's going to be full capacity. We want to give them an experience that is worth coming to, even if the product on the field doesn't turn out the way that we want to, it's like their goal should be to get as many fans as the same as possible because attendance has been a problem for the Bengals in recent years. And you can't really look at last year as an example because of COVID, but even the years before that attendance was low compared to the rest of the league. You look around the league as well, like the Minnesota Vikings, for example, they have like a celebrity or a guest or like a fan who blows, I believe the Gallahorn horn right. or whatever before kickoff that that's a tradition. I think Seattle does something similar with, with their kickoff process too. Yeah. Exactly. So like the, there are franchises out there that utilize their, their fans and, and you know, the, the whole pageantry of their brand, if you will, and get them more involved in the experience where it's like it, it's not just a football game. Right. It's an event. And I think that is also wording that has been used by by Blackburn and the team and, and maybe Seth Tanner as well, the, the director of content. It wants to be more of an alive event and experience something where you want to go there, not just because the Bengals are playing football, but because this is the, the best show in town, I guess. And I think that has been the message for this entire offseason. The entire game day experience is going to be enhanced. And I think the rule, the jungle campaign is really just all that wrapped up in a, in a ribbon. They're going to have like a special like ruler fan who's going to sit in the throne, very comfy throne speaking from, ex- from experience. But I, I guess that's going to be their, 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 their special tradition now, like um, leading the who day chant right before kickoff, but everything about this, it, it just embodies that message. Like our biggest strength, regardless of the quality of the team is our fans. They, they, they still support us. They still come back year after year, despite what our on-field performances. Let's reward that. Let's make sure they keep coming back and let's make sure that this is an, an experience seven or nine times a year now in the regular season that they want to keep going back to. The Cincinnati Bengals fan base is not the largest contingency, contingency in uh, of fan bases in the NFL, but by God, John, and I think you and I embody this a bit uh, based on the amount of uh, work we put into this show, the web, the website, Cincy jungle and everything. But I, I think uh, look, passion and loyalty are two of the biggest traits for since the Cincinnati Bengals fan base. And there are a number of people who have been longtime season ticket holders through thick and thin, a lot of thin, more so than thick, I guess, or vice versa, depending on how you look at it. But the point is that, that this kind of resonated to me in a way that, hey, we are going to 
really, we've always valued your loyalty as a team. We've always valued you coming back to the stadium and all of that. But this is kind of a deal where it's we're recognizing it, and we are want to let you know that we are valuing that loyalty and that passion that you always show us, being Bengals management as as a team. So here's in case you did not read this, here's kind of the the premise of all of this, right? This is on bangles.com to and this is from Elizabeth Blackburn. She wrote this piece up on bangles.com. Today we set the tone for the 2021 season as we launch our new campaign, Rule the Jungle. Rule the Jungle signifies the high standards and energy we expect to see on the field, in the stands, and in all areas of our organization. Rule the jungle is a mentality that displays our confidence and strength. Rule the jungle is a feeling of exuberance. Each fan will feel on game day like a queen or king sitting on a throne as we celebrate together in a stadium that is back to full capacity. To rule is powerful. Great empires are built by the bold. Effective and revered leaders throughout history envisioned schemes to reach new heights, build impressive infrastructure, by mobilizing the masses under a common goal and won battles to assert their dominance. Build, win, rule. This is the path forward. So that's basically the message there. There is a picture of the throne with seven of the Bengals' core players there. Of course, there are more that will be uh, deemed as core players going forward, but those are seven of the core guys as we sit here today. You got Joe Mixon on the the Sheeran throne there the uh, that he has once graced. My thing with this, I, I mentioned it a little bit on the water cooler chat, but I found this to be interesting, John. In the past, it would seem that these mantras that came from the team, these team slogans, all of that, it was Marvin Lewis putting these slogans on T-shirts and whatnot. It was Zach Taylor coming up with the, the seize the day, new day, all that kind of stuff. This is coming from the front office. Maybe the other ones did as well, but that was not the impression that the team put forward. That was not the impression the coaches, the players put forward. This is coming from even higher up from the co- from the coaching staff. And that, to me, was, was something that made me pause and kind of say, hmm, that's a little different. Yeah, it makes all the, the past efforts in this um, type of arena kind of like half-assed because you mentioned like the Marvin Lewis slogans. And as the years went on, they got more and more of a parody of themselves. And then, like, you had Zach Taylor in his first year as a head coach, I believe. Like, he was in, like, some local commercials. And that was brand new because we never saw Marvin Lewis kind of put himself out there in the team advertisement in, like, a comedic fashion. So that was a breath of fresh air, I guess. And now it's this, which blows all of those past efforts out of the water because you're right. It's coming from management. It's coming from someone with, with Blackburn or Brown in their name. It's coming from that lineage and you know that there's actual work being done to, I guess, make a difference with this, which makes it different. But of course, it's not going to be deemed different if there isn't a difference, a palpable difference that you feel in the stadium. And I would love to have fans on as the season goes on. You know, we, we, we talk to them, we interview them about is the experience in the stadium that different? Because I think that is by and large where the, the, the bulk of the difference is going to be. It's just, you know, we can reference the article last week about you know Ben Volan's list of top thirty you know destinations to travel to Cincinnati being the last. Like it's almost like this was a way to counter that or a way to boost up those rankings because if if that experience in itself matches that of a Vikings game, of a Seahawks game, of like I, I don't know, but another like a Bears game, I don't know. I, I've never been to really any, any other stadiums aside from Hall Stadium. I can't really give that other other perspective, but. Like if that is where the the majority of the of the difference is being made, and I think it's going going to be the fans that really see it the most. And again, it's really like you said, paying back the fan loyalty, paying back the passion, always sticking by their side despite thirty years of lack of playoff success. So now you're starting to see it not from the, just the coach himself, who is usually the face of the franchise, but now you're seeing it from someone in the executive branch of the organization, if you will, and that's where the, most of the change actually happens. By the way, little segue here, Elizabeth Blackburn was also in attendance for Ken Anderson's, I think you wrote the article up on this on Cincy Jungle too, John, covering Ken Anderson's 
new coffee shop that he has opened in conjunction with his foundation, the Ken Anderson Alliance. Um, that coffee shop is is providing job opportunities to adults with developmental disabilities. Very, very cool uh, thing that they've got going there. And then I think it's 16 lots, right? That's the brewery out there that uh, also made a, a Ken Anderson brew. Um, I was talking with with the Orange Arrow yesterday on our, on our show, and he was talking about how Kenny uh, wanted to make sure that 16 lots made the beer taste as close to Keystone as possible, I guess, is, <laughs> is what his request was. But uh, she was present for that. And, you know, she's obviously supporting, she gets it. That's a guy who played in the seventies and early eighties. Um, she understands that he's a very important figure to the Bengals franchise. The Bengals will be nominating, uh, or I, I think they're going to be designating the ring of honor uh, nominees, right. Or, or the winners um, for, for the first ring of honor tomorrow, which is Thursday. So, you know, take, take for that, which will her being in attendance there or whatever, but regardless, Ken Anderson, big figure in in the franchise's history. She's there present and then also putting this out. The one word that she puts in this a lot, John, that I found to be very, uh, it's it's a very interesting usage of the word was empire. She used that a, a small handful of times. I think it's not really a word we use in the NFL lexicon, but we use that. We use dynasty is a word that we use a lot, right? So I guess that's kind of an interchangeable word, but it, it's, this is not a short-sighted, this is what also struck me about this statement here. This is not a short-sighted statement. This is not a short-sighted vision. This is something that is, hey, this isn't just about 2021, even though the, the, the rule of the jungle is the mantra for 21. This is something that they are hoping uh, lasts for a long time. And obviously that they become a team that has sustained long-term success under Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, et cetera. If I was the editor of this editorial, I might have suggested the use of maybe kingdom. If we're going like the jungle and like <laughs> yeah, you know, the king yeah. of the jungle or the ruler of the jungle, jumping straight to empire. I don't know about you, but it kind of has maybe a negative connotation. I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, are we the baddies a little bit? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you never associate the Bengals with any sense of like bad guys, I guess, connotation. So I guess good for them for the change of pace. But in my experience of empires, they don't typically last forever and they don't typically end on good terms, but you know, to rules, powerful, great empires are built by the bold. Like you said, this is certainly a bold statement. It is. It is. And it was something that if you, if for some reason you have not read this, I don't know. uh, I don't know why you may not have, but, Check it out. And basically it just kind of, it resonates on a lot of different levels. And there was, um, you know, one of the other Bengals staff members the other day put out a statement in response to the Ben Volin article about Cincinnati being a really poor destination as a football town or a football city um, saying, you know, wait, wait till we wait, wait till everybody sees what we've got in store as a team and as a, and for the city really, um, as a football destination. So it, you're right, though. It, there's There seems to be these kind of Bengals hit pieces, and it's like, oh, yeah? Check this out. Bengals hit piece? Oh, yeah? Check this one out. There's just they, – they are really responding, um, and maybe that's not strategic. It just may be coincidental, but they seem to be responding to some of these – folks that are, are kind of slamming them a little bit and they're like, Hey, this is, this is what we're doing. And we're, we're moving forward, we're putting our heads down and we're doing what we can for the fans and good for them. I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that piece by black by Elizabeth Blackburn. There was also like, I think there was a, a direct message or mention of like, in terms of like proving the, the national media wrong, which I don't know, like any other team like recognizes that or like it, that's like their goal, but like it, it does seem in a sense, a little bit personal, which yeah. I guess is, is, is just new. You don't really see it coming from like a team executive like this. It, it, it really does. Uh, it's, you know, that's the, the ring from the ring of honor to the stuff with the fans. And then this game day experience is just, it's like, uh, I, Oh yeah. You're going to put that out about us. Check this out. Oh yeah. You're going to put that about, out about us. Check this one out. So Insert Michael Jordan meme right there. Right. 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 <laughs> 
so good stuff from Elizabeth Blackburn, and she has quickly, quickly ascended as a rock star within this organization, and kudos to her. Additionally, another rock star within the organization, Emily Parker, who is the director of communications within the Cincinnati Bengals. She, this is a, a, a tweet. Uh, I don't know if I pulled up the right one. Let me... Yes. Let me pull this up here. This is, she put this out on Tuesday and I guess this is kind of a little shameless self-promotion a bit because she specifically mentioned our website and our podcasts on this poll, John. Um, And this is a poll for folks. If you have not filled it out, please fill it out. But basically this is more fan engagement by the Bengals asking, "How how do you get your news? What are the podcasts you listen to? And then, of course, what behind-the-scenes content do you want to see this season? And then there's a lot more. What are the Who are the reporters you like to, to listen to or get your news from, all that kind of stuff? Um, humbling that our show was specifically noted on, on that questionnaire, as well as the Cincy Jungle website. I would just kind of say a little call to action to our listeners and readers of, of both. Um, if you do read the website, if you do listen to our show, Orange is the New Black, Chalk Talk, any of those, please note that because um, that is just something that maybe we'll be able to give us a little further access within the team, hopefully, but um, pretty cool stuff. And again, it's just another example of the team, in my estimation, reaching out to the fan base saying, hey, what do, what do you like? What do you want from us? I've only been with CJ since the jungle for five years. Anthony has been here twice as long as I have. Before 2019, at least, I don't think they ever mentioned the word Cincy Jungle at all. And that wasn't until 2019 when me and Nick Manchester were invited into the stadium to interview some players during training camp. And then there's been this this back and forth between Emily and I as representing the site in terms of getting representation out there for the site. And, you know, I, I know some people kind of jaded about the, the intentions of the team in regards to this type of stuff, but this was literally like Emily's question uh, er- earlier this season when we communicated earlier in the offseason, she basically wanted to know, like, how are Bengals fans getting their content? And just looking at our numbers, looking at our viewership, looking at our readership, it's clear that Cincy Jungle is, is one of the kings in terms of consuming Bengals content. That's largely in part because of you guys. And it's become such a big growth and success that the actual team is starting to notice that, which, again, I don't know if a lot of other teams recognize that and even want to recognize it or even want to know because obviously they want to promote their own stuff. They want to promote Jeff Hobson stuff on Bengals.com. And obviously that will always come first for them. But again, to, to just have this recognition with this for an SB Nation site that for so long was not officially recognized by the team, wasn't even like, it, it was just ignored by all capacities. To see this kind of growth there is, is special, it, it, at least from my end for, for what we do for the site but also just to see it just grow. And because of you guys, it, it is genuinely special. Look, the, the the there are a lot of great folks before John and I headed to Cincy Jungle, before we started this show, all of that. There are other great shows before us, uh, you know, a lot of great editors and, and those who spearheaded the, the website before us. And, and to their credit, not only were they doing great work, but they tried to engage the team and, and there wasn't always a serious tone from the team being taken about what we did at the website, what we do on the show. There were a couple of olive branches that were extended, but um, you know, now it, it just, like you said, there seems to be quite um, a, a different approach and a lot of different things. I think people are seeing and the team may be seeing the amount of page views and the, the listenership of all of our shows and all of that. And they may kind of are taking stock and saying, you know, these are these are some folks that uh, are doing some good things, uh, along with the many great reporters, beat writers, all of that that cover the team. And, um, you know, I I don't want to make this a a gush fest about what we do, but it was just it was pretty humbling and pretty cool to see to see what what we're associated with on this specific poll. And they met the team mention it. So if you are so inclined, um, I did put the link to the poll. If you have not put the, if you've not filled that out, go ahead and do that. Even if you don't put us down or whatever, that's cool too. But um, check it out. It was just kind of a a cool fan engagement initiative by the team yet again. So kudos on them, man. I don't know if you've got anything else to add on this, but uh, I wanted to share all that stuff and talk about that because I think it's pretty important for the Bengals fan base. 
Yeah, and we're allowed to flex a little bit. You know, we, we, we've worked hard for this recognition. So, you know, we've earned this <laughs> We've earned this three seconds of, of spotlight. So definitely check out the poll. Put your put your input in. It would mean a lot to us and obviously them. Yep. So let's we're, – we're going to move on here, and we are going to do a – you want to do the positional preview first or you want to do the um, – the breakout player first, John. I'll let you. I'll let you decide. Let's let's do the positional preview first. Okay. So before we do that, though, we got we got to tell the folks about our buddies over at Symbol. And we have since we've been talking about Symbol a little bit this week. It's kind of crazy to me. We've already been in a months long partnership with this great organization, S I M B U L L. The website, of course, S I M B U L L dot app backslash obi symbol is the stock market for sports john i'm sure you know that but you can go on there and if you put in the promo code obi you get a ten dollar deposit bonus right in your pocket and you can use that to invest in the team of your choice whether it's the Bengals or if you want to invest in another sports team because john there are other sports that symbol offers it's not just football it's not just football it's the nba just wrapped up with the bucks winning the championship the bucks price right now is $41.48. I believe that's the average price. And it's at the upper echelon of the entire NBA market. You have MLB. You guys bought uh, shares in Reds recently. Don't sell yet. I, obviously, the bullpen's in kind of a flux right now, but it is for the long term play. It's basically a stock market for sports, and you're seeing your dividends grow or, or shrink based off of literally how those teams perform. It's really as simple as that. You invest cash into the market, you watch your growth or diminishes depending on your knowledge of how these teams kind of perform over the long run. And in the NFL arena, you know, the Bengals have been in that $60 range. They're now down to $54 and 25 cents. We've been in contact with the creator symbol, um, Kenneth Giles, and he definitely noticed that ever since our partnership, there's been a lot more traction to the site. And obviously the Bengals market kind of reflected that. So you may be continuing to hear about symbol in the months to come. So stay tuned on that. Absolutely. Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L. Go get that $10 deposit bonus for uh, by using that promo code OBI, of course, short for Orange and Black Insider. But uh, it's been fun partnering with them. Really cool uh, little market segment. I shouldn't say little, but really cool market segment that they've carved out in terms of the sports betting, fantasy, sports world. And if you do fantasy football, if you do sports betting, if you do survival football, any of that stuff, you got to make Symbol part of your repertoire there. Go take advantage of that bonus. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, John, let's we. I, this is a good segue from last week because your breakout player that you gave us last week was Larry Ogunjobi for a lot of good reasons. So, we're going to focus on the interior defensive line. It's going to be a completely different group than we've largely seen, and that includes some edge players of 
years past that would also kick inside. But, um, you know, in terms of interior defensive line, there is at, at this moment, no Geno Atkins, by the way, he is, been able to resume workouts and visit he's there's going to be some teams probably calling on him as well as Kawan short and others that are out there kind of in a similar boat but as of now it does not seem a reunion is going to happen with Geno Atkins maybe it will we'll see but he, there's the Bengals really made a concerted effort to overhaul this but not only the defensive line in general, but the interior defensive line. And they went after Sheldon Rankins. They brought in Larry Ogunjobi. Um, you know, they, they drafted Tyler Shelvin. They, they really went after it in terms of getting guys to play the interior defensive line spots. And they need to figure things out up front. Um, the last couple of years have been trying to figure out and get better athletes at the linebacker spot that, that can move well and make some plays. They needed to get some help. Yes, injuries have ravaged the interior of the defensive line over the past couple of years, but they needed some help big time, particularly in these games against Baltimore where they get gouged in that in that RPO offense. They needed to figure stuff out. They have had some additions. We'll pull up the roster here, but I think this is quietly a, a, a decent group, and I think there, there's some talent there, and they want to get a lot of different aspects out of this group they want the big guy shelvin to help out in the run game they want Joby to be able to generate pass rush and they, they want to do some different things up front and maybe even kick in a guy like trey hendrickson from the edge inside on certain packages so um, i'd love to get some of your insight as we pull up the interior defensive lineman here uh, a, a lot of a lot of jobs on the line for guys that have been on this team for a couple of years too yeah, I mean, you can throw Josh Tupo in that category. You can throw Mike Daniels is on a one-year deal. Rennell Wren entering his third year. He's barely yeah. played, but like he's maybe on the outside looking in. I want to throw like a weird comparison at you, though, because the offensive line has gotten a lot of buzz with the Bengals, and we'll talk about them at, you know, in another positional preview to come. But like the defensive line you know, opposite of them has undergone a lot of scrutiny as well and has also been amongst the bottom of the league just looking at the, at the position group now as a whole, it's got like 15 players. Each position has at least like three players at each main position. It's a lot of solid names and it's a lot of solid depth. And I think like the difference between evaluating an offensive line as a whole and a defensive line as a whole is like your offensive line, it, its job is to not lose. And your defensive line is like that their job is to win. You know what I mean? It, it's very, it's very simple when you put it like that, but like there's a lot of solid players, a lot of solid NFL experience a lot of names that they've earned their spots as starters or as key role position players. It's the, the depth is quality. They're going to have a full position group by the time training camp in the preseason kind of ends and uh, it's all wrapped up. We have a better idea of what the, of what this position group looks like. Or whereas with the offensive line, you're, you're concerned about like, you know, some guys just being like average and like just right. make sure that they hold their own with the defensive line. It's like, we know these guys are all pretty decent. Like there's no like glaring holes, but there isn't one player on this group that you're like, we can count on this dude for 10 sacks for 50 pressures this season to be the catalyst of this pass rush. It's a lot of maybes. It's a lot of guys who are borderline good, but probably closer to more middling decent average range. I, you look at Trey Hendrickson who had a great year last year, but you don't know if that's sustainable. You don't know if he can repeat that. You look at Sam Hubbard, who's a, who's a solid player in his own right, but is still waiting to take that next step as a pass rusher. DJ reader is a great nose tackle, but there's only so much that he can do at that position. And then we talked about the potential Vogan Joby, but he just hasn't reached that just yet. It's a lot of quality names. Like, they're starting four with Hendrickson, Ogunjobi, Reader, Hubbard. That's a that's a quality starting four, but it, it's not like it's like dangerous by any means. It's no, it's no fearsome four with the with the Rams in the '60s. It's no purple people eaters of the, of the Minnesota Vikings. It's no you know Seattle Seahawks of the early 2010s. Like this team needs someone like Carl Lawson last year who can get, who can consistently win a one on one matchups. It, it needs that Geno Atkins of the early 2010s that can just you know, collapse the pocket from the inside. There's a lot of guys who are decent at their jobs, but there's no one right now, right now, as we, as we know it, who are can take over a game and be dominant. And that may be an issue unless one of these guys in Hendrickson and Ogunjobi step up. There is an element, to your point, there is an element of by committee on in this position group, right? It's kind of, let's, let's get, let's get these guys in here. Let's rotate them in and out. Let's keep them fresh. I think when you look at the names though, I, first of all, let's go back. We have, were 
spoiled for the better part of a decade because the Bengals had Geno Atkins in there and he was a guy who was a double digit sack guy, multiple, multiple pressure guy for many, many years. And it was just ink it in, right? I mean, ink it in. He's, he's, he's a pro bowl player. He's going to wreck games. He's going to be awesome. Um, last year was hurt and now not on the team. So now they've got to get creative, especially if he is not coming back and they're going to kind of do this by committee. And I, I think though, when you look at who they trotted out in starting spots last year and who some of those guys are still on the roster, but now you've got hopefully a healthy DJ reader. You now add in a Larry Ogunjobi. You've got Mike Daniels coming back, who I think played pretty well in his, his role last year. He did have an injury, but came back and, and played pretty well, especially in the games that the team won. You know, you're able to kind of mix and match then you kick inside some of those edge player names that you mentioned, a Sam Hubbard, a Trey Hendrickson on certain situations, and you can get a little more creative. I think much like the defensive back situation, we previewed cornerbacks a few weeks ago. This is this offseason has been about we are not going to be in a position that we have been in the past couple of years if injury hits again. We are going to be much better prepared. We are going to be deeper, and we are going to be able to still have some semblance of efficiency in the interior of the defensive line if injuries strike again, God forbid. But we think DJ Reader is going to come back, and if he's back and being the guy that he he has been, his his absence last year was, ma- was massive in more ways than one. I mean, figuratively, literally, whatever. I mean, it was his absence was just massive. Um, so getting him back is just kind of addition in itself. And then to me, I, I just, I know he's, I said this around draft time. I know he's a limited player in terms of amount of snaps he will probably get, but I'm pretty excited about Tyler Shelvin. That is just a massive dude. Our buddy Bengals Sons, go look at some of the film he has put out on him. That is just a big guy who is not moved easily at all by offensive linemen. And when you're talking about, Yes, it's a division that has a lot of able passers in the division, and you can make your Lamar Jackson jokes if you want, but Lamar Jackson does a lot of stuff off of play action, RPO, all that kind of stuff. That's a guy, though, in this division, especially as the year wears on, that's going to hopefully provide a lot of value because you've got the Browns who like to run the football and do things off play action. Pittsburgh always likes to run the ball no matter who they have on offense and at the skill positions. Uh, And then we've talked about the Ravens and their running game. So I know Shelvin is a limited guy, John, but uh, I'm pretty excited about that addition. And we forget, or maybe we don't forget, but it hasn't been talked about as much as Shelvin because he's 350 pounds. 50 pounds. He's a lot of fun to watch at times. There's two other rookie pass rushers who were drafted before Shelvin in Cameron Sample and Joseph Asai. Specifically with Asai, like I feel like we talked about him being like the best value pick in this entire class, but ever since then, the conversation's kind of died down. But in reality, like if, you know, Hendrickson and Hubbard, they're going to get the reps as the starters, right? But Asai is in a great position from a development standpoint and from and an output standpoint, because a guy like him, he needs all the reps that he can get to really fill out and really develop more as a nuanced and proficient pass rusher. And they're going to need as many reps from him as possible. If Hendrickson and Hubbard can't consistently get home on those passing downs, you could be looking at a sub package grouping of a Sam Hubbard moved inside Cameron Stample moved in, moved inside and Hendrickson all end up as your four third down pass rushers, if you will. And then you can implement maybe Larry Ogunjobi in, in some of them, maybe even another rookie in Wyatt Hubert if he really balls out in preseason to make mm-hmm. the team. So there are a lot of different packages and groupings that they can put in here. I think when you look at a side, though, for all the for all the hype that was talked about when he fell to the third round, now this guy should have been like a top 50 pick, and he's so athletic, and he was so productive in Texas. Like, they need to get him going really, really quickly because he adds a dimension that they just don't really have. Like Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, fantastic athletes in their own right, but none of them can hold a candle to how Osai can move around the edge. And everything about his game that can be better, it's all just comes down to getting him on the field as much as possible, letting him make those mistakes, letting him iron iron things out. And also just, just the addition of, of another defensive line coach. I believe like we talked a lot about the hiring of Frank Pollock, but then the firing of Nick Eason and the, the hiring of, oh man, 
off the top, I don't even remember his name at this point. We, we haven't talked about him that much. Like the new defensive line coach, I feel like that was another emphasis of like getting the most out of out of these guys as, as pass rushers, improving the techniques, improving of their just overall win rates to get to the quarterback. I think Osai and the addition of new coaching up front, it could make a big difference. And it needs to make a big difference if Hendrickson can't pull out 30, 13 and a half sacks again. Marion Hobby is the name. That there you, we go. You were, you, were, you were on a roll. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to interrupt you there, I, I, I it's all, all fair points, and yes, that's that's the hope, and that that is the, the quite honestly, those are that's the basket wherein the Bengals are putting their eggs this season and this off season. They didn't make the big firings and with the coordinators or any of that kind of stuff or the head coach. They went with the lower ranking guys that, that got the axe and the offensive and defensive line coaches are, are are new this year. And they're hoping that those are the guys that are going to come in and make a big difference. I want to focus in on the, on the bottom two guys. You briefly mentioned them, uh, the bottom two guys on the graphic that we're showing here. And that is Josh Tupo, Renell Wren. Uh, Renell Wren was a guy personally, I was very, very excited about in that initial Zach Taylor draft class, a guy that I thought because of his athletic profile may take him some time to mature, but uh, he was a little older, I think, when he came came to the Bengals. But, um, you know, he, he was a guy that had an immense athletic profile and you were hoping that, that they were able to mine that potential and do some things. Now, unfortunately, a lot of things out of his control injuries, namely being the one has been one where, uh, you know, it's kind of derailed his career a little bit, but he is taking things very seriously by all accounts. And he is going to be grinding for a roster spot. Now that Tyler Shelvin's in the mix. And then of course you've got Josh Tupo, another massive guy and a guy who has flashed and played pretty well at times, but did not play at all last year, opted out of the season. And, you know, there's there's some other stuff going on there, including depth at the position. So your assessment on those two, John, um, I, I don't know how many they keep here, um, especially because of how the guys are, are – those edge guys will be kicking in. Are they going to kind of mix and match the roster numbers there? But uh, those are the two guys I think we all will be keeping an eye on in terms of this group, training camp, and preseason. Yeah, I think Ren will determine if they go like 10 or even maybe at like 11, like extremely heavy on the defensive line, which I believe they went initially in 2019 before they cut Jordan Willis. It is rare to see a team go with 11 into their week one roster, but it's entirely feasible for this team. You'd look at like just 12 deep. You, they could easily go if they keep six edges and six defensive tackles. But you have to remember like six defensive tackles only like two of them are like natural three technique pass rushing defensive tackles. They have a lot of noses. They have a lot of, you know, big run stuffing guys, but they don't have a lot of pass rushing presence inside. And I think if Renell Wren can prove that he's become more of that rather than just a big body can plug a gap that may increase his chances of staying on the roster, maybe booting Josh Tupo off the roster. It would be maybe unlikely to see both of Wren and Tupo make the team. I know that they made Tupo's contract a little bit more expendable, easier to, get off the books this year if they feel necessary to do that. I do think that like Ren and then White Huber, we can talk about him again. They could be like like right on the cutting edge or on, or on, on the uh, cutting board, if you will, in terms of where this position group kind of cuts off. It would be difficult to go lower than 10, but again, it is rare to see like 11 or even 12 names kind of stick there. But I think their whole goal was to make these decisions be difficult because last year it wasn't. They just needed as many bodies as possible now they have 15, including Monty Bledsoe, Freedom, Akim Moladun, and Khalil McKenzie, who probably aren't going to make the final roster unless they prove to be completely different players than they have been in years past. So Hubert, Ren, Tupo, those three guys are probably going to be fighting the most for these for these jobs. Going back to Rennell Wren, and you mentioned the need for him, especially if he's going to make the roster, the need for him to be able to show some sort of pass rush prowess. When you go back to, ironically, I looked back at the statistics uh, from his time with the Sun Devils in Arizona State. Um, I, I was a little disappointed uh, just because I, I didn't remember his stats offhand. I thought he had a few more sacks and tackles for loss than what was actually there in four seasons of play, 14 and a half tackles for loss and only three total sacks in four years with the Sun Devils. So nothing that screams, 
you know, a guy that can, that is going to get you a ton of pass rush, but I know he's been working hard and, uh, this is all about the, the project that was Rennell Wren was taking that clay and bringing it to NFL coaching, bringing it around other NFL talent, and hopefully being able to open things up for him, hopefully allowing him to develop as a player and become a more well-rounded player. I, you know, it's either either way, if they, if they cut Tupo, Wren, maybe even both, I don't see, I don't really see that happening. But if they cut one of those guys, not, I'm not going to be overly happy about it because I think both of those guys are have value. I think they will be scooped up somewhere else if the Bengals get rid of those guys. Um, I, I like both of those players, so it's going to be a tough cut there if if that's the way that indeed they go in letting one of those guys go. It's been a while since we've seen Tupo play along with Ren, but Tupo obviously opted out last year along with Isaiah Prince. And that, in general, to me, is going to be interesting to see how many of these like low-profile guys – not necessarily the C.J. Mosley's or the Donta Hightower's of the world that opted out last year. How many of them are brought back by their original team? Or maybe they've just been out of the system too long. And, you know, there's that's the nature of the NFL. There's roster turnover. conditioning level, right? Exactly. So, you know, Tupo, you know, has has a battle in front of him, a fight to make the roster again, even though, you know, Tyler Shelvin is just a rookie and they need a, a backup behind D.J. Reader, a guy with experience. So, It'll be interesting to see. And, you know, I, I think I agree with you, though. Like, I I don't see both Ren and Tupo getting getting axed. I think, again, they do probably keep at least 10. And you have to think that one of those guys is going to be one of the 10. Kind of closing up this, putting a bow on this position group, the interior defensive line. How do you feel about what that, that group of the group of names that we saw there as opposed to going into 2020 and or obviously what we saw and who they trotted out there at the end of 2020. Are you feeling significantly better, marginally better, um, the same? What's your what's your temperature reading on this one, John? Well, it's a tricky question because going into 2020, you're like, okay, they're just going to be without Geno Atkins for like a month, but he's going to come back. He's going to be fine. And they still have Carlos Dunlap, who, you know, still wants to be here, right? But then none of those things ended up being true, and then the whole dynamic of the thing changed. So, yeah, it's like if we knew everything about – Going into 2020, we would feel a hell of a lot. We would have felt a hell of a lot worse. But now I think we can genuinely, genuinely feel better in comparison. But again, better is good, but it still needs to be a lot better for this defense to take that next step. I that's that's a, a fair point, and I I would say I feel marginally better at this point because last year, I mean, you go, wow, DJ Reader, Geno Atkins, let's go right? And then even Gino at the end of his career, you still felt like that's going to be a productive guy. He gets hurt. Like you said, it was supposed to only be a couple of weeks and then, you know, it turned into the the whole debacle that it became. Then you lose DJ Reader and it's like, oh my God. So uh, now Reader appears to be on a good, good place, in a good place for his rehab process. Um, so you feel pretty good about that. The Ogan Joby signing, I think you and I are pretty jazzed about that one. And then, you know, there are some other additions there that we like. It's just a matter of, uh, I, th- I think they've they've built some depth and it's going to be a little bit more by committee instead of, hey, we're going to put all the onus on Gino, like we've seen in years past. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be uh, weight distributed among other players <laughs> to, in terms of the the pull that they need to, to make. Uh, in the interior of the defensive line. But that is our positional preview for this week, the interior defensive line, and hope you enjoyed that. We're going to continue on with other positional previews each week, especially as we go through training camp, so check it out. And again, want to remind all of you to get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, all the audio platforms. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Do so on that little icon that's down on the left shoulder of John. So click that. Make sure you Put on the notification so you know when we go live, you know when we have new material, and you are alerted to all of that. We have also begun our breakout players, our potential breakout players, an annual tradition on this show as we get start to head into training camp. Um, obviously, things could change with preseason performances, training camp practice performances, all of that. There are always some heroes, but... Um, we like to we like to try and nominate some breakout players. Who was it, by the way, John? I, I don't have the tweet in front of us. They said we were actually kind of about 50-50 last year on some of our breakout guys. Um, I, I think oh, yeah, they, that's right. 
I think they mentioned we we said Adenogy and a couple of others, but uh, yeah, hopefully we're we're a little higher on that. But we have another one. John had Larry Ogunjobi last week, so we've got another one, and let's get to it. So the last image you see there is going to be the guy that we're going to talk about this week, and that is Jackson Carmen. So uh, sometimes we do rookies, sometimes we do veterans, and of course, this is kind of subjective in what you call a breakout player. We always like to throw this disclaimer that, you know, it could be a guy that has always been a starter and maybe ascends to a Pro Bowl player. It could be a fringe roster guy that makes the team and carves out a nice role for themselves. It could be a, a marginal starter that turns into a very valuable player. It just kind of depends. But at this point, Jackson Carmen appears to have an inside track on the starting right guard job. A guy that wasn't the most popular pick when the Bengals called his name on night two of the draft. The Bengals were sitting there in round two. A lot of offensive tackles and offensive linemen were ripe for the picking. What did the Bengals do? They took a pick from another team and moved back and got the guy that they wanted in Jackson Carmen. They talked about him being the guy that they wanted and they grabbed him and they are not moving him to tackle, at least not right now. They are putting him in as an offensive guard. He played left tackle at Clemson and he did so at a high level. And John, the thing that has, there are a couple of things that have me excited and some of the data points or the elements that I'm going to discuss that have me excited about him. I want to credit Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports because he talked about some of this and we talked about this on the water cooler chat. But over the past two years, especially when Clemson was at its most successful or during it, this very successful run they've had over the past handful of years in 20, uh, I believe it was 2019 and 2020, he had a 3.1% uh, pressure allowance rate, which is very, very low, especially when you consider a lot of the, the the amount of snaps he took and a lot of the opponents that he faced. Um, and, and now on top of that, he was a guy who was potentially tipping the scales in the 330s, 340s playing left tackle at his pro day and, and uh, you know, other workouts by, into, before the draft. He was uh, registering in at below 320, so he really carved out some, uh, carved off some weight. And some people say, "Well, you want to be a little meatier when you're playing interior, maybe." But if you're still 320, I mean, that, that's a big boy. Um, the point of it, though, is that the hope is instead of getting by with the athleticism and the power that he was able to at 340 as a left tackle in college, the hope is shedding some of that weight, playing inside because there there were some kind of foot speed concerns. And I think part of that was the weight, but just in general, I, I think that those were some of the knocks there. And I, I think that the Bengals and Jackson Carmen himself have made a concerted effort to try and mask that by shedding some weight and putting him inside, at least at the beginning of his career. So he, he's a, he's protected Trevor Lawrence's blind side. He did so at a high level. Um, and I gotta always, I always gotta credit you, John, because you were the guy before night two that said, "Hey, I think the Bengals may go Jackson Carmen tonight." You, I remember you said that that night. Um, but look, wasn't the most popular pick when the Bengals made it. I think though he can step in. There's gonna be some growing pains, but I think he can step in and really help out in both the pass protection and run game. There is a stark difference I've noticed in pre-draft analysis and post-draft analysis. And 99% of the time, it's the post-draft analysis that ends up being the most useful because before the draft, when the Bengals still needed an offensive lineman, you tackled the idea of, hey, what about this left tackle from Clemson who is not as technically refined as some of these other guys and has played a position that the Bengals don't particularly need based off of their current roster structure and thinking, oh, I mean, they can do better, right? Like Jackson Carmen's fine for, you know, maybe like a third or fourth round pick, but not when they need a starter at guard, right? You don't want to, you know, it's not it's not as popular to, to look at it from that perspective. But then you look at Jackson Carmen, who he is, what he can do well, what the Bengals need him to do, and where he project and where he project where he projects best in the NFL, and you start to think it makes a little bit more sense, right? Because the things that Jackson Carmen does well, he's a powerful guy. He's got powerful feet. He's got powerful hands. And 
for being 20, 21 years old, he has a basic understanding of how to use his hands independently, which is very important in pass protection. He may not hold up as well at tackle that he did in Clemson facing ACC pass rushers, but you move him in, inside the guard, place him in between two veterans and Riley Reef and Trey and Trey Hopkins, where the communication is going to be better. You're starting to think this guy is probably going to play better than he was given credit for when that draft pick was made. Because you just think initially Jackson Carmen, there was no talk of this guy being you know, taken in the early second round because of some of the issues that he has at that position, but then projecting him into a position where it makes more sense for his particular skill set. I do think that he would qualify as a breakout player because there is an expectation level for him at, at this at this point based off what he was in college. But I think he can exceed that very early in his career based off the coaching he's going to get in Frank Pollock and the positional comfort that should better fit what he does well. Here's the other thing for those that do not or were not Jackson Carmen believers. You had you had to figure if, if you're not a Jackson Carmen believer, but you're a Frank Pollock believer, you had to believe that Frank Pollock signed off in some capacity on this decision. Not only selecting the player, but bypassing the guys that were available in front of him and said, "Okay, fine." We'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll go with this kid. That kind of tells me that they targeted this kid pretty, pretty heavily. And they, they were, they were going to go this direction um, unless something absolutely wild fell into their laps. This, this was kind of, it seemed this was going to be their strategy in some form on night two. And the thing I do like the most about it is the fact that they were able to get their guy, get the pick and utilize that. And, and again, fortify the roster with that additional pick whether they skipped on Liam Eikenberg and others that we liked. Okay, fine. But, you know, if, if you are a Frank Pollock believer, you got to believe that he signed off on this pick in some capacity here. But I, I like what you mentioned about the being sandwiched between two veterans, especially one who has played at a high level largely throughout his entire career in Riley Reef. Um, Hopkins obviously is, is a solid player as well. But, uh, you know, I think that's going to do him wonders as he grows into it. Now, concerns. The, a little bit of the foot speed, like I mentioned, but we hope playing guard and obviously he's still very young. That's the other concern, but still very young. Hopefully some of that gets worked out as he gets coached up um, and sheds weight, gets kicked inside. Maybe some of that gets masked. Uh, you know, the age is another. And then John, um, so I want you, I want to see if you would address these concerns on your part too. But the other one for me is, Hey, this could work out well at guard, but Riley Reef's not going to be here forever. If the plan is to move him to right tackle in the future, I know that's we're, we're talking 2021 here for breakout players, but long term, how concerned are you in his ability to potentially kick out to right tackle and be effective there? That's another thing that can limit how successful a prospect is. Like if there's no clear and concise plan with what to do with him. And if there's no understanding of what he does well, at least in the beginning, like the development of that player can be severely hindered. And then the whole career arc for him can be changed forever. Obviously this year, the, the plan is for him at guard. That's where they need him. That's where he projects best, at least initially to get his feet wet in the NFL. It makes sense. But there were some comments after the draft that said, like, we believe this kid can also play tackle. Like we measured his arms personally. They're bigger or longer than what, like the media has said, I believe it's like 33 and a half was the official 33 and a quarter was the official measurement by Paul Alexander, who is still a consultant for the Bengals organization for offensive linemen. So he passes all those, you know, um, just general thresholds for the position. And again, he has that production at the position too, at a high level. It's just that like you feel more comfortable throwing him in the guard initially and then moving him out the tackle. Obviously, two different positions. Every offensive lineman will tell you it's two different techniques, it's two different footworks, two different pass sets, like completely different, not comparable, even though they play side by side. But there is experience, obviously, with tackle, and there are, you know, obviously muscle memory that goes with it. But also, there are very talented edge rushers that play in the NFL, and it's tough to put a 21-year-old rookie who's still kind of learning what his body is, and he's still learning the ropes of how to consistently win with his hands, you know, out there on an island initially. So if the plan is to move him out to tackle, you feel more comfortable about getting him a year or two in, in whatever system that they're in before you make that transition to him. Because if he's the right tackle of the future, that that is a decision that's going to be looked at for years to come. You know, 
beyond 2021, beyond the draft, because there were other options that, you know, they were better suited, I guess, to, to be long-term tackle options. Whereas Carmen, he may really succeed as a guard early on, and that may completely alter the plan going forward. Like, do you really want to move this talented 21-year-old kid out of this position where he's thriving just to fill up a more prominent position of need? It may change. It may change the plan, but as long as there is a plan in place and they stick to that, and there's communication on both ends, I think Jackson Carmen is smart enough. And he's definitely talented enough to make it work. There are a lot of breakout players that we're gonna. I don't know how. I don't know how many we're gonna do here. Maybe six, eight, ten. I don't know. Um, over the next handful of weeks here, but and all of them are important to the Bengals' success this year in varying capacities. I know Jamar Chase was the number five overall pick. John, I, I just kind of thinking about other breakout players, and I don't, I don't want to say this because it's the guy that I picked, but I am hard-pressed to think of a player that needs to break out more for the Bengals than Jackson Carmen. If they're going to roll with him at right guard, this might be the most important guy that they do need to break out based on what the offensive line has been the past couple of years. And if he's going to be day one starter at right guard, they need this to work. Absolutely need this to work, not only for Joe Burrow, but for Joe Mixon. And like it, that all comes down to what you expect for him, just taking bias and optimism out of the equation, I guess, because it, it is difficult for any rookie offensive lineman, top five pick, third round pick wherever it is difficult for them to come in and consistently play at a passable level. There are going to be, there are going to be shortcomings. There are going to be times where he's put on his ass. There are going to be times where he just doesn't get out in front of some of these reach blocks and messes up uh, a running play to the outside. Like there are going to be times where he struggles and that's fine. That's expected for a rookie. But uh, again, if, if he just gets to a stable level of average play, which has just been just the goal, just, just the minimum goal for the past five years for this entire position group, you're right. It it would have a monumental impact on the entire offense because it's been a position that spot specifically at right guard has been such a sore spot and a weak spot ever since Kevin Zeidler left. And this is the most prominent investment that they've made at that position since Zeidler's departure. So if he exceeds whatever expectation, even the, even the pessimistic fans have about him, it would do wonders for the offense. Yeah, and that's that's the hope that the you know the the Bengals have made the right decision. Um, whether a, a lot of us questioned it um, a, a few months ago, but uh, you know I, I, he's just he's going to be an important player this year. It's going to be an important player for the team. There's no doubt about it. And they need to be able to hit on that. They need to hit on a lot of guys in this draft class because they've had a lot of injuries and they've been turning over the roster in, in Zach Taylor's image. And this is one of those guys that they need to be hitting on and he needs to break out, but that is our breakout player, potential breakout player for 2021 this week, Jackson Carmen, who is a rookie, the guard tackle out of Clemson potentially has the inside track at the right guard position at this point in time. We're coming up on it. We're going to get on out of here, John, let's drop the mic and get out. What do you got for us? Uh, I believe the next time that me and Anthony both speak to you, you guys, the Bengals will have been reported to training camp. I don't know if they're going to be actually practicing. I know that back together Saturday is officially July 31st. That'll be the first open to the public practice for you guys. But by all intents and purposes, we made it out of the off season. The NBA is done. You know, sports is in this week, a little hiatus period before things start to pick back up. But show is going to get a lot more interesting, a lot more content filled as training camp begins and eventually preseason begins. And real quick, Anthony, are you, are you a fan of Breaking Bad at all? Yeah. Yeah. I like that show. I mean, I have watched it through once. I haven't gone back and like marathon, watched it again, but amazing show. Yeah. I, I'm of the opinion that there are no bad episodes of that, of that show, but the one episode that everybody claims is like the worst is about like the fly in the, in the meth lab with Walter and Jesse. And they have this very deep emotional conversation about Jane. I'm experiencing that episode right now for the past 30 minutes. There's been a fly just was roaming around my head while I've been trying to talk. So I'm gonna bow out. Let you drop the mic on your own. I got a fly to kill. All right. I, I've been. I was noticing your your eyes were kind of wandering a little bit. I was wondering what was going on there. But I just. I, I we've teased this a bunch. Again, we're still kind of hashing out all the details here. But I do want to again talk about our little charity fest thing that we are going to do, and we are going to 
want your help with this. Um, we are wanting to support a lot of different Bengals charities run by players and former players, current players. We've already been in touch with a couple of representatives of those charities, and we will be having some appearances. But whether you read Cincy Jungle, whether you listen to our podcast, we really want to make a sizable impact to each one of the charities that we want to represent. Um, we've got a handful. We'll unveil all of those. But this is going to be something. It probably will not be just a one-night thing. Um, we'll probably do this over the course of, of a couple of different weeks, especially coinciding with the start of training camp, the start, essentially the start of the 2021 season. So uh, we will let you know there are prizes that we're going to give out to donors. We've got all kinds of swag and different stuff, and we'll ship that out to you um, as, as you donate. But we want to make, we don't know what to expect of this. We want to make it a big thing and we hope that we can just make a big impact because 2020 was really hard on a lot of different nonprofits. They couldn't fundraise in person and do all the things they normally do. So we really want to try and make an impact and do, uh, do some great things for organizations and players past and present who do great things already in the community with their foundations. So hopefully you can help us out with that and we'll get you all the details on that. We'll probably start kicking that off next week and kind of sporadically get some other appearances, swag, all that kind of stuff as you donate, but we want to make it a big thing. And then obviously submit large donations to these foundations. Thanks everybody for tuning in. For John Sheeran, who's going and killing an insect right now, I'm Anthony Kazenza. And for Robert Obrecht, I didn't gloss over your comment earlier. You wanted a who day before we got out of here. So, Robert, for you and for all of Bengals Nation, who day. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we will see you soon. Take it easy. <laughs>